A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to a History of Europe Battles podcast. This is the Battle of Königgrätz of 1866, part one of two. Any list of decisive battles of European history would be incomplete without a battle which occurred on the 3rd of July, 1866, near the town of Königgrätz. Königgrätz is in the north of today's Czech Republic, which was fought between the Austrian Empire and the Kingdom of Prussia. In terms of size, it was one of the largest battles in the continent's history, about 460,000 men in total similar to the largest battle of the Napoleonic War, the Battle of Leipzig, and not to be exceeded until the First World War. It was, moreover, a battle notable for the use of the advanced technology of the Industrial Age. The transportation of so many soldiers to the battlefield and their effective control while on it were made possible only by recent great strides in the fields of communications with railways and the telegraph. The Austro-Prussian War of 1866 was brief, yet its consequences were profound. It was the culminating event in a rivalry that began with the rise of the House of Brandenburg-Prussia, most notably Frederick the Great's unprovoked attack upon the Habsburg province of Silesia in 1740. From that time, Austria and Prussia were involved in a long struggle for supremacy in Germany. For centuries, the Habsburg monarchy had been the central imperial power in Central Europe. From the 15th century, the Habsburg dynasty held the title of Holy Roman Emperor with just a couple of short breaks until the empire's final dissolution in 1806 during the Napoleonic Wars. The last Holy Roman Emperor became Emperor of Austria, ruler of a reduced but still significant territory including Hungary, Bohemia and Northern Italy. Thereafter, the Habsburgs remained the pre-eminent power among the German states after the German Confederation was formed at the end of the Napoleonic Wars in 1815. 
part of Austria's success, as well as its challenges, arose from its geography in the centre of Europe and facing in two directions, north and west to Germany and south and east to a number of various ethnicities in Eastern Europe and the Balkans. Germans comprised only about a quarter of the monarchy's population in the 19th century, with the rest comprised of a diverse group of ethnicities, including Poles, Serbs, Croats and Ukrainians. The monarchy, therefore, never seemed able to gain a coherent national identity, and so in an era of national integration appeared ever more like a relic from the former dynastic age. Its existence, importantly, was seen by other great powers as essential to help keep order in a complex region and to prevent a power vacuum taking its place. No other arrangement was seen as to be able to balance the various competing national interests in the region. For a long time after its fall in 1918, the Austrian monarchy of the 19th century was looked back upon as a, quote, prison of nations. A quite unnecessary, supranational monstrosity that got in the way of its various component national groups, who only achieved freedom when the monarchy inevitably collapsed. It is true that Habsburg rule was often oppressive and reactionary, with little or no willingness to adapt the political system to the needs of a modernising economy and society. In the English-speaking world, in particular, Metternich's Austria evoked the anti-Catholic sense of Habsburg repression of freedom of thought and belief. But more recently, many historians have highlighted the advantages of the monarchy, which came to see itself as having a positive role, not only in arbitrating between the various nationalities, but also in encouraging the cultural flowering of each national group. And economists emphasise the benefits of the empire as a free trade zone. And it is worth noting that many of the advocates of the monarchy at the time were Slav nationalists, who believed Austria was a good solution for the various peoples in Danubian Central Europe who needed unity against the threat of Russia from the east. An important moment in the monarchy's history was after the failed revolutions of 1848. The most important statesman of the time was Prince Friedrich of Schwarzenberg, at a time when the new emperor, Franz Josef, was young and inexperienced. He helped to re-establish monarchist control in Austria and formed a new government with both conservatives and liberals. He undid some of the recent democratic reforms that came out of the revolution and worked to create a new constitution for the empire in 1849. Franz Josef, however, brought up in the traditions of Habsburg absolutism to despise anything constitutional, decided this was too much of a limit on his power. And so on New Year's Eve 1851, he overthrew the constitution and returned Austria to absolutist rule. He was to remain emperor until his death in November 1916, a reign of almost 68 years, in other words, for nearly the entirety of the remaining time of the monarchy's existence. When Schwarzenberg died unexpectedly in April 1852, Franz Josef did not appoint another minister-president, 
and abolished the ministerial council in the belief that an absolute monarch should rule alone. His style is described as neo-absolutist, which, inspired by his predecessor, Emperor Joseph II, was the imposition of modernity through the absolute power of the state. Franz Josef was a conscientious and hard-working ruler, who was intellectually not particularly curious or bright, and deeply conservative in matters of religion. He had a deep sense of duty and a great interest in military matters, and participated in a couple of battles in 1848 and 1849. When his Minister of War resigned in 1853, Franz Josef also took direct control of his army. There was no serious overhaul of the military, perhaps because of successful campaigns against Hungarian rebels and the Piedmontese army in Italy, a degree of complacency set in, and many of the positions of command were given to well-connected nobles, despite little evidence of military skill. Apart from the high command, officers and troops were poorly paid and supplied, with substantial corruption in the commissioning of supplies. The army's main purpose was to look good at parades and to be an agent of domestic political control. In the diplomatic sphere, Franz Josef's decision to adopt a policy of armed neutrality during the Crimean War ended up alienating both sides of the conflict. Their former allies, the Russians, believed the Austrians owed a debt of gratitude after coming to their rescue to put down the Hungarian revolt of 1848-1849, and so were furious when they refused to come to their aid and even threatened their borders. As for the Western powers, the Austrians' unpredictability, as well as their reactionary views, led to them being seen as unreliable. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
Austria's diplomatic isolation and failure to keep the military up to date contributed to their defeat in the Italian War of Independence of 1859 against the French and Piedmontese and the loss of all their territory on the Italian peninsula except for the region of Venetia. At the same time, the Viennese government was slow to adopt economic reforms and so suffered an economic depression during a period of strong economic growth elsewhere in Europe. Creditors were reluctant to lend to a state in financial difficulty and without adequate control over creditors and taxpayers. In contrast, Bismarck in Prussia had the advantage that the coffers of his economy were full thanks to their booming economy. Rapid growth in the railway network and its associated enterprises such as steel smelting and machine building were supported by a great expansion in coal mines. Franz Josef's resistance to constitutionalism at home did not help relations with the more liberal German confederation. When the question of Schleswig-Holstein arose in 1863, as described in the previous episode, the emperor decided on a policy of conciliation and cooperation with Prussia. It was clear to the Austrians that German interests in Denmark had to be protected somehow, but Franz Josef made the fateful decision to work with Bismarck rather than choose the alternative option of allying with the liberal-backed claimant to the duchies, the Duke of Augustenburg. Through the first half of 1864, the Prussians and Austrians secured victories against the Danish army, the Austrian troops performing notably better than the Prussians. The end result was that, pending a final decision regarding their future, Immediately after the war, the two sides occupied the duchies of both Schleswig and Holstein. At first sight, this looked like the possible beginning of a new era of harmonious cooperation between the two major German powers. This was certainly what the Austrians wanted. Bismarck did his best to encourage their hopes, but his real objective was to annex both newly conquered Danish duchies to Prussia, and to neutralise Austrian political influence in Germany. He planned to do so, if necessary, by war. His tactic was to keep all options open by taking advantage of the joint occupation, picking fights with the Austrians at every possible opportunity. In the diplomatic struggle that ensued over the future of Schleswig-Holstein, the Austrians were at a disadvantage. Remote as the duchies were, from Vienna with an interest in maintaining an army there correspondingly lukewarm. In the autumn of 1864, they offered the Prussians a choice, either recognition of the duchies under the Duke Augustenburg, or alternatively their annexation to Prussia, with compensation for Austria along the Silesian frontier. Bismarck rejected both offers, declaring that Silesia was not negotiable. This was followed up in February 1865 by provocative declarations to the effect that Prussia intended to regard any independent Schleswig-Holstein as a Prussian satellite. They also put forward a plan for a Prussian-controlled canal to be cut through the peninsula to connect the North and Baltic Seas and a major Prussian naval base to be established in the port city of Kiel in Holstein. 
In the meanwhile, the Prussians and the two duchies continued to extend their control, prompting furious complaints from the Austrians. By the summer, it looked as if war was imminent, when Franz Josef sent an ambassador to the spa town of Bad Gastein in Bavaria, where King Wilhelm of Prussia had retired for a cure. The result was the Convention of Bad Gastein of August 1865, where it was agreed to place Schleswig under Prussian and Holstein under Austrian control. However, Gastein was no more than a temporary breathing space before a war that seemed inevitable. The Prussian provocations in Holstein continued and Bismarck now seized every opportunity to provoke incidents that would further inflame the Austrians. How can one avoid war? Emperor Franz Josef was reported to have asked when the other side wants it. In January 1866, Berlin seized on a meeting in Holstein in support of the Duke of Augustenburg to accuse Vienna directly of breaking with the terms of the treaty. On the 28th of February, an assembly of Prussian generals, ministers and senior diplomats agreed that Austria had failed to honour the Gastein Convention, and there was general assent when Bismarck declared that Prussia had a mission to lead Germany and that this was being unjustly blocked by Austria. Bismarck's next step was to seek an alliance with Italy. Negotiations quickly got underway and a treaty against Austria was signed on the 8th of April 1866, with the Italians motivated to use the opportunity to unite Venetia with the rest of the peninsula. This would necessitate the Austrians having to fight a two-front war in both its northern and southern frontiers. At the same time, Bismarck carried out negotiations with the ruler of France, Emperor Napoleon III. Exactly what assurances the Prussians gave have been hotly disputed, but writes the author Christopher Clark, it seems likely that French neutrality was bought with the promise of compensation in Belgium and Luxembourg, and possibly in the region around the River Rhine. Since Napoleon received similar offers from Austria, he had every reason to be confident in ending up as a beneficiary of the Austro-Prussian conflict, whoever emerged as the victor. At the same time, Bismarck cultivated good relations with St Petersburg to ensure the Russians stayed out of the conflict, and he also actively encouraged Hungarian separatists in the Austrian Empire. On the 21st of April, news of troop movements in Italy triggered a partial mobilisation of Austria's forces that same day. This began a chain of troop deployments that would culminate in a full-scale mobilisation on both sides. As Prussia and Austria prepared for war, it became clear that most of the lesser states of the German Confederation supported Austria. At the end of May, the Austrians formally passed responsibilities for Schleswig and Holstein to the Confederation. Soon after, the Prussian troops entered Holstein. The Austrians denounced the Prussian occupation as illegal and in breach of the terms of Bad Gastein. On the 14th of June, the Parliament of the German Confederation in Frankfurt agreed by majority vote to a resolution calling for mobilisation against Prussia. 
the Prussian ambassador walked out, declaring that his government regarded the confederation as dissolved. Five days later, Italy declared war on Austria. Vienna sent 75,000 troops southwards to deal with the Italian threat. The Italian troops were enthused by nationalist sentiment and the desire to complete unification, but they were very badly organised. Austrian spies reported that, quote, chaos reigns along the entire front, Italian troops have nowhere to sleep and are famished, end quote. There was no strategic planning system and there had been six different ministers of war since unification five years before. When the Austrian and Italian armies met at the Battle of Custoza, superior Austrian firepower prevailed and the Italians fled in confusion. Yet the Austrian commander, the Archduke Albrecht, refused to pursue the defeated enemy, thus abandoning any chance of making his victory a decisive one. My name is Carl Rylett and you've been listening to History of Europe Key Battles podcast. The music from today is The Carnival of the Animals by the composer Sanson. The Aquarium and then the Swan. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If so, why not give it a great review on iTunes or wherever you hear the podcast. It's always great to hear from you. You can write to me directly, carl, that's C-A-R-L, at historyeurope.net, or get in touch via the Facebook page. I hope you can join me next time for the second and final part on the Battle of Königgrätz. Until then, all the best and goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.